Malachi chapter number 4. These are the very last words of the Old Testament, and there was a 400-year period of silence between when this was written and when the Lord Jesus Christ showed up there in Bethlehem. It says in verse number 4, "'Remember ye the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel.'" with the statutes and judgments. When I read that, I think about what Paul said to the Galatian Christians. He said that the law is our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ. We've taken the law out of our culture here today, and we've taken away the schoolmaster that paves the way that basically, the best way I know to describe it briefly is that the law is what creates the thirst and the appetite for the living water and the bread of life. We don't have that appetite in America today. Verse number 5, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. I'm sure that most of you know many people that, many children that are growing up in broken, dysfunctional homes with a single parent or adoptive parents or foster parents. I'm sure that many of you know or have experienced things like this in in your own lives, broken homes, broken marriages, Fathers who really don't care about their children, they only care about themselves, and children who have no real respect or honor toward their fathers, it seems to be the norm in American culture today. And if I could start out, and please be patient with me while you're standing, we'll get to Luke 12 here in just a moment, but I want to start out with a little bit of my introduction and say this. Our recent trip to Ecuador was different to me, personally. I've been on nine or ten mission trips in seven or eight different foreign countries, but this was different than any other mission trip that I've been on. What was different about this mission trip? Was it the food? Was it the language? Was it the culture? Was it all of these things? The answer to that is no. For me, it was different and unique in that this was the first time, some of you might not appreciate what I'm getting ready to say, but please bear with me, the first time I found myself jealous of what they had, rather than just being thankful for what we have. Mission trips have always been an eye-opener for me, to go to a third world country or a foreign country and just think, wow, we've got it made in America. There are certainly things that we have it made in America that are better than Ecuador and really any other country that you could travel to. But the things that are, in my opinion, and I believe in God's estimation, that are the most valuable, I found myself just feeling a little bit jealous This was a confusing feeling to me, but I found that it stirred my heart much like the Apostle Paul's heart was stirred when he stood there in Athens and he saw a city wholly given to idolatry and it stirred his heart and he said some things that they didn't particularly want to hear. 
When I was in Ecuador, I saw that the boys looked like boys and the girls looked like girls. I saw children that, from all appearance, seemed to be very well-behaved and attentive, even though they weren't, they didn't grow up in church or vacation Bible school. There appeared to be family unity and loyalty. The children appreciated their food and their snacks, when really all that they got was a piece of bread and a little cup of some kind of juice every day. And yet they were so thankful and appreciative of that. I heard no whining or complaining. Well, why did we get this flavor juice today? Why can't I have this? They had one option and they gladly received it and they seemed to love it. I didn't see a single act of open disrespect to an adult. I saw much less paganism displayed in their culture and appearances. I saw some, we all did but I didn't see it very often. Most of the people that you saw just looked like decent, hardworking, respectable people. I didn't witness a single open display of homosexuality. How refreshing is that? To be able to be in the mall or a public setting where people are all over the place, and I didn't witness, maybe one of the other group did, but I didn't see a single open even seeing anybody that I suspected that they were homosexual. But most importantly, what I saw is a people that had a receptiveness to the gospel. They would take a gospel track and they would read it. The missionary said on the second day, we can't go hand out more flyers because we don't have room because if we hand out flyers then more kids will come, and we don't have room for them. We don't have the workers for them. We couldn't handle it if they came, so we just have to stop handing out flyers. What what a blessing that that would be. Yes. So I, I, I hope that you're not being too hard on me here this morning and thinking that I'm not patriotic because I am. I love my country, and I am happy that I'm an American. I'm not sure that I use the word proud anymore, but I am happy that I am an American. I'm certainly proud of what this country is supposed to be, but not so proud of what it has become. Jeremiah was a prophet that preached and said things a lot like what I just said to you here today, and he was accused of being unpatriotic, of being a traitor. And I understand this God and country, and I am not trying to encourage any of us from being unpatriotic. I'm saying what I'm saying here this morning because I love my country. Because I want my country to be what it used to be and what it ought to be. So please don't think. I'm not bashing America. I am telling the truth what America needs to hear so that we can get back to what we're supposed to be. Ecuador is not better than us. They're just behind us. And what you're seeing there is what many of you that have some gray heads and some bald heads and you've been around a year or two, you remember how things used to be. And I saw it there and I was envious and it broke my heart. 
for my mission field where God has called me right here in America. Would you look at Luke chapter number 12 with me now? Luke chapter number 12 and verse number 49. These would be red letters if you have a red letter Bible. This is the Lord Jesus Christ speaking. He said, I am come to send fire on the earth. And what will I if it be already kindled? I want to speak this morning on the title, We Need Some Kindling. Father, bless us, Lord. I know this introduction has been a little lengthy, but Lord, I know you've put this on my heart, and I pray that you'd help me to communicate these truths with your help and blessings, with your power. Lord, not the power of God so that we can feel better about ourselves or feel like that Uh, anything that would have anything to do with our pride or ego, but rather the power of God to make a difference, Lord. Uh, People listening here today need to hear the truth, and they need to hear truth that's relevant to, uh, to us, to where we live. Lord, it does none of us any good to stick our head in the sand and pretend that things are not as they are. And Lord, we certainly need to know what the answers are. Uh, I, I don't want to discourage anyone here today, but rather I pray that the effect of the sermon here today would encourage us, encourage us to do something, to do what we ought to do and what we need to do. Uh, please bless. And if anyone here today that's listening, whether it be uh, here in the auditorium, whether it be in live stream, if someone is not saved, I pray that you'd break through the hardness of their heart, convict them of their sin. Help them to see their need for a Savior and help them to see that that Savior that loves them is Jesus Christ. Bless we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Thank you for your patience and standing so long for the introduction. I I grew up in Idaho, and Idaho is the Boise area, was very flat, high desert. Interestingly, the city of Boise is called the City of Trees. For anyone from here that's ever flown to the Boise airport and walked out and looked and seen, why do they call this the City of Trees? Because you just don't see... Most of the trees that you see in the City of Boise were probably planted in the city area as a landscape project many years ago. So you look at the mountains and you just see sagebrush and high desert. But if you go just a little ways further, about 45 minutes from the Boise Valley where I grew up, you see the the Rocky Mountains and you see massive forests of pine trees and fir trees. And because of that, growing up, many people would save money and had wood-burning stoves and uh, it was a way of life when I was growing up that you went up to the mountains and you took your pickup, your trailer, and you cut down firewood and you brought it home and you split it and you put it in the shed and you had it for all winter long. And we needed it because the winters were considerably longer than they are here and considerably colder as a general rule. There would be times one of my jobs growing up was to cut kindling wood. And whenever we'd be running out of kindling wood or we'd have some wood that maybe was still a little bit green, maybe gotten a little bit wet, mom or dad would say, Randy, go get some kindling. I'd go out. If there wasn't kindling in the box, I'd have to get the axe and I'd have to cut up some kindling wood. It was a way of life as I was growing up. Now, in our Malachi text that we read, we saw that 
the Lord makes it clear that before that dreadful and notable day come, that God said, I'm going to send Elijah the prophet. And one of Elijah's main projects, so to speak, is going to be to turn the heart of the fathers back to the children and the heart of the children back to the fathers. Now, in Revelation 11, just a number of weeks ago, we took a look at those two witnesses in the tribulation period, and we saw that one of them will be Elijah. We saw the majority effect of Elijah and, I believe, Moses' ministry on the general population. Here's what it was, or here's what it will be, I should say. Revelation 11:10 and they shall dwell upon the they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them and make merry not because of their preaching but because they were murdered there in the streets of Jerusalem. So you have the whole world when two men of God that were sent by God they're preaching and they're prophesying finally they're killed And the whole world is rejoicing and making merry. They're sending gifts one to another because these two prophets tormented them that dwelt on the earth. How much starker contrast can you have between preaching ministry of two men that were actually of God in comparison to those who claim to be of God in the pulpits in America today. Prophesy unto us smooth things. Preachers, tell us what we want to hear. I like to hear that preacher because he makes me feel so good about myself. Blah, 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 blah. Why... Would we choose to hear what we want to hear rather than hearing what we need to hear? I'm going to make a bold statement. Christian churches that have the gospel today are filled with people that, in my opinion, I'm not a judge, I'm not a jury, I am not God. But in my opinion and my personal estimation, I believe the majority of these mega churches are filled with people that are on their way to hell and not their way to heaven. Why do you judge that? I thought that we weren't supposed to judge. Well, the Bible says you'll know them by their fruit. You'll know them by their fruit. And when we judge righteous judgment, we're not judging in self-righteousness. We're judging based upon what the Word of God says here. There are evidences that God gives us of people that have been regenerated people who have been born again. It's a life-changing experience. Now, the, the ministry of Elijah, we read about it in Malachi that there's going to be a family effect. He's going to be focusing on preaching to fathers and to children, and that is certainly a needed message in America today. But we don't see in these two witnesses in Revelation chapter 11, we don't see a description of their actual ministry. What are they preaching? But I tell you what we can see and we do see is the ministry of John the Baptist. Now you say, what does John the Baptist have to do with Elijah? That's a great question. Uh, We see it because John was asked point blank, are you Elijah? Because they're looking for Elijah. They'd read Malachi 4, verse 4 through 6. John, are you Elijah? And he said, no. 
But Jesus, when they asked him about John the Baptist, Jesus said that he would be, he would have been Elijah if you would have received it. Uh, Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter number 11. Matthew chapter number 11. You talk about the, the sovereignty of God and how God in his providence, he, he sees everything from eternity past to eternity future. You know, God is not limited by time and space. And you know what? The, 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 the reformed theologians, Calvinists, whatever you want to call them, they, they try to put God in this complex system of, of his sovereignty. Listen, I believe in a more sovereign God than a God that just picks and chooses who say, I believe that God legitimately gives man free will and the ability to respond to the gospel. And yet God says that they are elect according to his foreknowledge. How can we possibly fathom a God who knows what's going to happen and is sovereign and in control and yet still legitimately gives you a free will? You know, I don't know what you had for breakfast this morning. My wife made me an egg, uh, uh, like an egg burrito. She scrambled some eggs and some cheese, wrapped it up in a tortilla. That may be a little odd to some of you from this area, but I love them. I could eat them every day. In Ecuador, they had the same thing every day. I'm, I'm, I could probably do that. Now, we did have some biscuits and gravy yesterday after we've been out of town and eating other... You know, it's kind of a, we talked about self-control in Sunday school class. Well, when it comes to biscuits and gravy, that's a weak spot. What does that have to do with what I was getting ready to say? I'll figure it out in a split second. Maybe. Matthew 11, let's move on, it'll come back to me. Matthew 11 and verse number 9, Jesus said, but... What went ye out for to see? A prophet? Yea, I say unto you, and more than a prophet. Can you imagine as a preacher, those of you that are preachers here in the congregation, and and God bless all of you that preach the word of God. Can you imagine having that kind of an endorsement on your ministry? That's the endorsement we need to be looking for. Not the endorsement of fame and glory and a full congregation and accolades and money and all of that. We need to be looking for a ministry that Jesus says, I approve your ministry. I endorse your ministry. Verse 10, for this is he of whom it is written, behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. This is a connection to Malachi 4 verses 4 through 6. Verse 11, verily I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist, notwithstanding he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force, for all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. Jesus is saying something's changing with John. Something's getting ready to change. Verse 14, and if ye will receive it, what's the it? It's the ministry of John the Baptist. This is Elias, Elijah, 
which was for to come. You talk about the sovereignty of God. Oh, I know what I was going to say. What you ate for breakfast this morning. You don't have to. I, I ate that breakfast burrito. I didn't have to say, oh, God ordained me to have this burrito. When you go to the fridge and you want to, listen, God knows what you're going to choose to eat. But it doesn't mean that in his sovereign providential grace that he has foreordained that you're supposed to eat that. Listen, if you fall down, the, if you trip in the last couple steps of your stairs and you stumble down, you don't have to get up and say, phew, I'm glad I got that over with. God's like, I didn't do it. I had nothing to do with it. Just slow down and it won't happen. <laughs> Just nonsensical. And, and why is it that we think that, I don't know, let me move on. I don't want to digress too much. God is sovereign and he knows what's going to happen in the future. And here in this case, the Lord says, if Israel would have received it, then John would have fulfilled. John would have been Elijah, but he wasn't because they didn't receive it. You're talking about amazing God right there. You say, how do you explain that, preacher? I can't, but I believe it because the Word of God says it. Jesus said it crystal clear. Now, John's ministry, you know what you need here this morning? You need a message of light more than a message of grace. If we're going to turn our hearts back to God, if we're going to, if we're going to be receptive to the gospel here in America once again, then we're going to have to recognize we need a message of light more than a message of grace. Now, some of you might misunderstand what I'm saying there. I believe we need to stand for the grace of God. I am all for the grace of God. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Grace, 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 I believe it, I stand for it, but I'm telling you, the message of grace is not what is needed in America today. It's all that America is getting today, and look at the results. Grace is supposed to be the solution, but it's become the placebo. It's supposed to be the cure to our sickness, but no one, no one is recognizing how sin sick that we are. And so rather than taking the real medicine, people are just looking for some candy. We need a message of light. I was in a, um, in a church in Ohio years ago and they were talking to pastors on just this neat little trick that they did. And I'm not, I'm not being critical. I just, I didn't particularly have any desire to incorporate this in my ministry. They had a device in their auditorium and after the church service, after a certain amount of time, that device would start gradually dimming the lights just a little at a time. And what they were trying to do is they were trying to get everybody out of the auditorium so that they could close up and lock up. And I thought, you know what? And that's one thing I like and appreciate about this church is that y'all hang out forever. 
Y'all aren't in any hurry to go home. You stay in your fellowship. And I, I look around, and as a pastor, it's like, wow, I like that, because that tells me that people are enjoying being together. You love each other. I, I worry about people that don't like being around God's people. The Bible does say that one of the evidences of salvation is a supernatural love of the brethren. You like being around other Christians. With, you know, listen, if, if, if you're always uncomfortable around Christians, but you're comfortable around people that are non-Christian, you need to get born again. But that's exactly what's been happening in America in my lifetime is the light has just been dimming just a little and a little and a little at a time. And, you know, it's had an effect. You know, according to what this church said, people just naturally just leave. They get they don't even recognize it. They're talking. They get start getting uncomfortable. They don't know why. And they just exit. And that's been the same spiritual effect that's been happening in America. John chapter 1 and verse number 6 says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, capital L, but was sent to bear witness of that light. The light, capital L, is Jesus. The light is righteousness. We have people today that want Jesus, but they don't want righteousness. You can't separate the two. If you want the real Jesus, then with Jesus comes righteousness. John chapter 3, verse number 19. Jesus said, and this is the condemnation, that light has come to the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Why do we live in a culture in America that is not open to the gospel? Listen, we go out on the street, and listen, we get some thumbs up. But I'll tell you, the response that we get from our gospel witness in this town, we get a little bit of rejection. Seems like in the years that we've done this, the rejection's getting just a little bit more. We get some thumbs up, but more and more what we're seeing is just simply apathy. People drive by our signs and just like, well, whatever. They either don't look, they don't read it, or if they do... It's had no effect on them whatsoever. Why? Because men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds are evil. Jesus made that clear. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. You know the difference between the modern message today compared to John's message and Jesus' message and Paul's message? The message today is saying, hey, if you will come and pray and believe in Jesus, then he'll make your life so much more wonderful. Or people will say, even well-meaning people will say, look, you don't want to go to hell, right? No, nobody wants to burn in hell, I wouldn't think. If, if you do, then you're very deceived about what it is. And so, well, heaven's a wonderful place, so you don't have to go to hell, you can go to heaven. Well, how do I do that? Well, you just, you just believe in Jesus. You pray this prayer and you'll have your ticket to heaven. That's not the message. 
That's not the gospel message. The gospel message is you're a sinner. And your sins are going to send hell is the result of your sins. But what you need to deal with is your sin. And we got people today that they want to go to heaven, but they have no desire to turn from their sin and live righteously. Yeah, I can get my ticket to heaven and live however I want. Sure. Sounds great. Sign me up. And we got churches that are just filled with that idea that, yeah, I believe in Jesus. Listen, I, I get, I get tired. I'm a dispensationalist, but James chapter number two has an application to us. It seems like dispensationalists are always sticking it in a different time period. It says, thou believest there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. That faith without works thing. I'm not saying that you're saved by works. You're saved by grace through faith. But I am saying that if you have real faith, then it's going to produce some fruit, some effect in your life. Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. We need a message of light today more than a message of grace. The next thing I want to draw out of this topic here today is you want your problems fixed, but not your paths changed. Now I'm talking, remember, I'm talking about why in America we're not open to the gospel message. Why is it water on a duck's back? Why is it you talk to people, oh, yeah, yeah, I've heard that, whatever. Yeah, you get lip service. We're in, listen, we are living in the Bible belt. In fact, I'm told this area is the buckle of the Bible belt. Listen, if this is the body of Christ, I hate to tell you, but our pants are down. I hope you get what I'm saying. The belt buckle is broken. Luke chapter 3, verse number 4, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying, this is about John the Baptist, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his paths straight, every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill shall be brought low, the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways shall be made smooth. You see what I'm saying? People want their problems fixed. I'll come to, I'll come to Jesus. I'll come to church. I'll get some religion if you'll fix my problems. Just don't expect me to change my path. If you want to be prepared to receive Christ, you've got to be willing to change your path. I, I share this heart's desire with many fellow preachers and pastors. We want God to do something in our country. I want God to do something in our country. I would love to see a revival. And I know that revival comes from God, but oftentimes what we're saying is we're saying, Oh God, please do something. Well, He is. But the problem is, you won't. God, we want you to do something. But we know what we're supposed to do. And we just go through this life sleepwalking spiritually. 
We won't change anything. We won't, we won't let any mountain in our life be removed. Things that are in our life that shouldn't be there. We won't let the Holy Spirit bulldoze those. We have areas in our life, valleys, the things that we're not doing that we ought to be doing. We won't let God fill those. We have crooked ways that we're not willing to change and say, hey, I'm going to get on the straight path. I'm not talking about works for salvation here. Repentance isn't works. That's a bunch of nonsense and a bunch of uh, hair splitting with semantics when people try to say that when you preach repentance, you're preaching works. It's not works at all. God has to grant repentance. But you have to be willing to turn. You have to have a change of heart. Repentance is simple. I'm going in this direction. My direction sending me to condemnation, to hell, to destruction. My life is dishonoring God. I'm hurting myself, my family, all of the things that go with being lost. Preacher comes and preaches salvation. Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, was buried and rose again the third day. God the Holy Spirit touches our heart and we say, I don't, I don't want this life. I want this life. I want Jesus Christ. That's how it works. It's not I'm going to take Jesus in one hand and I'm going to live my life however I want to in the other hand. And if I have one in each hand, then I'm just going to be happier doing what I've always been doing. That is heresy. It's nonsense. God's doing something. The message, he's not, he's just as powerful as he's ever been. The light is just, it's still light. So what I'm trying to say is if we're, the problem's not God, the problem is us. John's message was a message of repentance. Matthew 3, 5 through 6, then went out to him, uh, Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region round about Jordan and were baptized of him in Jordan. Watch this, confessing their sins. Now, I'm a pastor. I'm not a priest. I don't want you to confess my sins to me. Please don't. I don't want to know. But you need to confess your sins to God. You need to repent. Repentance begins when we don't care what anyone thinks about us except God. And we say, hey, I don't care. You know what? I, I, I know what I am. I, I'm, con- I'm a sinner. There are things that I've done in my past that I've repented of that I don't even remember that I did them. I, I didn't keep a list. I don't know. There's things that I haven't specifically, but I know what they are. I know that they're sin, and when I got right with God, I repented of all of them. Whether I was thinking about them, it was, I know what they are. God knows what they are. And I confessed, not just all that I did, I can't, I can't remember it all, but I confessed to God what I am. You got to get to the point where you don't care what anybody thinks about you except for him. John was a man with a message, not a vision. I've had people say to me, you know, young preachers, Pastor Mitchell, what's your vision for your church? I, You know, the first time that got asked to me, I felt like a loser. Like, I didn't know how to answer it. 
Uh, I don't know, am I supposed to have one of those? <laughs> I got to thinking about it. It's just, you know, and, and then I just got to the point where, you know, if I, somebody asked me that question, what's your vision for your church? I just go, nothing. <laughs> I don't care if they think I'm a loser as a leader. Hey, you know what I'm looking at right here this morning? This is my vision for this church. I'm looking at you. You showed up here today, and so I'm going to do the best that I can in love to preach the truth of God's Word to you. And when you come back next Wednesday or tonight or next Sunday, then you're going to be in my vision, and I'm going to do the same thing all over again. And do the best I know how to just love you, be a friend and a blessing. That's, you know what, if God does something with that, if that's what you want, that's what you like, keep coming. Bring somebody, if somebody else that you know that needs what we got here, then bring them along. This place fills up or dwindles down to nothing. By the grace of God, we're just going to keep doing what the Bible says we're supposed to do. John didn't have a vision, Matthew 3, 7, but when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? He's not trying to gain a big congregation, he's trying to get rid of some of them. (laughs) Get out of the way, you're you're hindering the ones that are coming out here for the right reason. They said, well, preacher, you can draw more flies with honey than you can with vinegar. (laughs) True, but you just have a bunch of flies. (laughs) These mega churches that you drive by and see the parking lot and the auditorium full, they got all this money and fame and glory. It's just a bunch of flies. I know what flies are attracted to also. It's not just honey. My last point before I conclude is John, Elijah, if you will, this is the spirit and power of Elijah, was a preacher, not a politician. Matthew 14, verse number 3, For Herod had laid hold on John and bound him and put him in prison for Herodias' sake, his brother Philip's wife. For John said unto him, It is not lawful for thee to have her. You know what a man of God does? A man of God, I know John had a unique ministry, and, and I know my my personality and my style could never be anything like John. John was rough. I've heard some rough preachers that tell it like it is, but they just had a... If you ever heard Lester Roloff preach, man, he could rip your face off, but he just seemed so sweet in the process. Like, how does... How does he do that? If you just listen to what he said, you'd think, I should be offended. But there was something about him that just had a sweetness. You know what that was? That was the Holy Spirit. I I will never have that rip-your-face-off kind of persona. I I can't even muster it up. If I tried to act that way, people would just go, "That's what what is that? (laughs) But you know what? It's not just how we say it, but it's what we say. I I don't want to ever start just picking and choosing, skipping over some Bible verses and not being direct. I want to be the kind of preacher that 
people would say, Preacher, I don't know if I like what you said, but I needed that. Thank you. You helped me. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. I I want to be a friend and tell you the truth. And I I want to do everything I can to keep people out of hell. And I want to do everything I can to preach so that God's people will live in a way so that when you stand before your Savior someday, you'll have some rewards and you'll be able to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I want to help you have a successful life Not just in the here and the now, but in the life to come. I want to help you parents raise your children. You need everything you can get to have a fighting chance this day and age to keep your kids from going out into the world and making a wreck and a mess of their life. Listen, some of you parents, you need to start getting serious about God. You need to start being more faithful to church and bringing your sons to prayer meeting and getting out there on the street. And you don't have to be there every Saturday. I know sometimes you got things you got to do, but every now and then your kids ought to experience coming out and knowing what it's like to stand out there with a sign that says you must be born again. You should be producing some of those memories in their life that this is what the Christian life is all about. John was a preacher, not a politician. And You know, in conclusion, when John showed up, the wood was pretty wet. Spiritually speaking, Israel was in a mess when John the Baptist showed up. It was dark and it was wet. But I tell you what John the Baptist was, he was salt and he was light. When we started our talk show on the radio I probably spent a month trying to figure out what we were going to call our radio broadcast. You know, you're supposed to have some kind of little clever little title or name for your broadcast. And I probably looked at a hundred different good options. None of them. I said, you know what? None of those describe it for what it is. I'd rather just call it what it is. Salt and light. It's not clever. There's other ministries that have called themselves salt and light. But that's what our desire was and is, is to be salt and light. Do you know that your body will not properly hydrate without salt? Remember, we're talking about the wood being wet. We're talking about people being receptive to the gospel message. There's no salt because Christians are not salty, and so when the water of life, the gospel message is presented, it just flushes right through, and no hydration takes place. It's like instead of putting salt in the water of life, we put a little bit of lemon juice, and it's just a diuretic, and it just goes through people, but it never really has any effect. Matthew 5 verse 13 says, "'Ye are the salt of the earth.'" But if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under the foot of men. Let me tell you something. Christianity, the church, is being trodden under the foot of men today. People don't respect Christianity because so much of Christianity is unrespectful today. 
They don't see Christ. They don't see anything different. Seems like so many people who claim to be Christians are just falling all over themselves trying to fit in with the world and be like the world so much that the world thinks, why do I need what they got? They're just like me. Except they do all this Jesus talk. They don't, people aren't looking for our talk, they're looking for our walk. That's the salt. There's plenty of gospel light in our country today. You can get it on the TV and the radio and podcasts and Google and you can even go to, you could go to a different church every single Sunday and still have plenty of churches to choose from here in Statesville at the end of the year. You could probably go five to ten years and go to a evangelical type church, plenty of church. But the problem is most of the gospel light is hid under a bushel. Matthew 5, verse 15, Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. The light of the gospel is out there, but it's just hid under a bushel the way that God's people professing are living their lives. The Bible says, let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. So as I close this morning, why don't you quit griping about how things are in America? I I preach against this woke nonsense, this LGBTQ nonsense. I think that it's total insanity for our president and our current administration to tell places like Africa and Jamaica that if you don't start promoting the LGBTQ agenda, we're going to withhold your foreign aid from you. Oh, that's real American. We're a democracy. We're a freedom. And yet we're trying, I mean, the fact of the matter is we shouldn't be sending all the taxpayer money to them to begin with. But if you're going to do it, don't have an agenda saying, well, why were they against it back 50 years ago when there were conservative Christians that were saying, hey, if we're going to send foreign aid to these countries, why don't we try to send our Christianity with it? Oh, no, we don't do that because we believe in freedom. Oh, everybody opposed that. But if we're promoting LGBTQ and all this other stuff, all of a sudden now it's connected. Talk about total hypocrisy. I I don't like what's going on in our country, but why don't we quit griping and go chop some kindling? Used to get cold during the night. We had a couple houses that I lived in when I was growing up that all we had was a wood stove. And when that fire would start dying out in January and February... It would start getting really, really cold. We'd have some frost on the inside of the windows from time to time. You could lay there in your bed and you could see your breath. And what did we do? Well, we would just pile on the covers. I'd have my blankets and my bed would be all made up. And I remember one place that we lived that the fire would die down. It'd get so cold. I actually went and got my sleeping bag and unzipped it, and I put that over the top. 
I mean, we had so many covers on there, you couldn't move, you had so much weight on you. But you know, that's what, that's what we're doing today. We're just staying asleep and just piling on more covers when what we need to do is we need to just wake up, get out of bed, and go chop some kindling. Most people sleep better when it's dark and quiet and cool. And we're in a very sleepy culture in America today because it is dark and it is quiet and it has gotten cold. So why don't you wake up and go chop some kindling? You can accept, accept status quo and you can be a roadblock or you can be like John the Baptist and help prepare the way of the Lord.